Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. How can a hot tub in Cookville be relevant to bacterial research? Dr. Mary Farone, a professor of biology, and 10 academic colleagues, including her husband, Dr. Anthony Farone, have published an article in the academic journal BMC Microbiology that explains it all. The discovery of Candidatus burkiella cookvillensis can shed new light on how cells become infected. If you're enjoying a summertime hot tub while listening to this, don't panic. Mary will explain it all after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. A record number of MTSU graduates will join Japan's most prestigious teaching exchange program in August. Eight MTSU alumni will soon begin their new year-long adventure with the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program, or JET, where they'll live and work in communities across that nation. MTSU has been a part of the JET program since 2008 and has sent 25 participants to Japan during those 11 years. Organizers say that eight assistantships from one university in a single year is quite an accomplishment. About 5,000 U.S. citizens apply each year for a year-long contract with a five-year renewal option. Japan chooses about 1,000. The assistantships feature a first-year salary of about $31,000 and include health insurance and subsidized housing. And after 12 years, the Murfreesboro Half Marathon, or the Middle Half, as it's more popularly known, has changed its route and will now include more of MTSU's campus. When the October 12th race kicks off, 2,000 runners will start near Central Magnet School on East Main Street and finish the 13.1-mile race near the public square. The course includes the Rutherford County Courthouse on the public square, East Main Street, Manny Avenue, and Oakland's Mansion. And while the race traditionally started and ended at the university, the new route will include the newer portions of MTSU's campus via Alumni Boulevard and Blue Raider Drive. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. That's mtsunews.com. Mary, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this bacterium Candidatus burkiella cookvalensis discovered along with another one uh, in not only a hot tub but a cooling tower several years ago? Yes, that's correct. Uh, Burkiella cookvalensis was from the cooling tower, and the other one, Burkiella aquae, was from the hot tub. Okay. And this was around 2015, 2016, something like that? We actually discovered it quite a bit earlier. Uh, we were collecting samples as part of another project, and these two went in the freezer for a few years before I got them back out and started exploring what was in them. But, it, yeah, okay. you're correct. 2015, when we first really realized we had something novel. But the most recent paper in BMC Microbiology was published this year. Right. That's correct. So that is what, correct. what is the update? So the update is that these bacteria are not only novel, they do something very different, especially one of them, Cookvalensis in particular, that really has not been described for any bacterium previous to this. And that is that it actually gets into the nucleus of a human cell and replicates and divides there. This is not unusual for viruses to do, 
but it's not been described previously for bacteria. And that has implications for disease, for immunology, for uh, an entire range of possible effects on the human body and uh, mammalian bodies in general, right? Yes, that's correct, because in addition to human cells, we also have found that it does similar, has a similar effect on other types of mammalian cell lines. So these are uh, the, this work has been done in established or cultured cells and not in, in real animals or people, for that matter, yet, anyway. <laughs> so far as we know, there is no human who has become infected with this particular kind of bacteria. Not that we know of, but no one's really looked. And the problem with this bacterium is, and both bacteria really, is they can't be cultured on the media that we typically use to grow bacteria. They can't be replicated in the laboratory? That is correct. We can only grow them inside of other cell lines. So for instance, about 30% of pneumonias actually go undiagnosed. So if someone were to take a sample from a patient with pneumonia and to put it on bacterial growth media, they would see nothing if this organism happened to be the culprit in that case. Which would certainly hamper doctors in their diagnoses if indeed a human being were to become infected. Yes, that's true. And we, we saw this 30 years ago with Legionella pneumophila, the organism that causes Legionnaire's disease and for which we're having an outbreak nearby in Atlanta right now. It, it went undetected probably in many instances until 1976. And it took over a year for them to even find that bacterium in those samples. And the fact that it can go straight to the nucleus and penetrate it means it can spread faster? Yes, because it replicates to large numbers in that nucleus and essentially escapes any of the protective mechanisms the cell might have to defend itself, which it would typically do in its cytoplasm. So it's, in, in a way, it, it's escaping from where it's in danger and using the nucleus to do its replication and dividing. Do we have any idea exactly what kinds of consequences would result if uh, someone were to become infected with this bacteria? Well, we suspect that it's, it's actually very closely related to the organism Legionella pneumophila, which causes Legionnaire's disease. And the symptoms of Legionnaire's would be what? Well, they vary, actually. It's anywhere from a mild flu-like illness, where the person may run a low-grade fever and feel achy for a couple days, to a pneumonia that, in some cases, can be life-threatening. It's also very closely related to another organism that not as many people hear about, and it's that organism's name is Coxiella, which primarily causes these same fever-like symptoms in animals and occasionally spreads to humans. It causes something known as Q fever, and we maybe see four or five cases of that a year in Tennessee, but we see much more in our animal populations. So it's also possible this organism could be more of an animal agent and then humans might accidentally acquire it.
By coming in contact with their dogs, their cats, or their farm animals. Yes, yes, especially the farm animals. So we're really, I guess we get asked two questions most often about these organisms. One is, is it a, is it a human pathogen? Might it cause disease? And the other one is, well, how does it get into the nucleus? So those are two questions we really need to address. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about Candidatus Berkiella Cook Valensis, among other things, with Dr. Mary Ferrone, who is a professor of biology. Uh, tell me about the, the backstory on the discovery in the hot tub and the <laughs> cooling tower. Uh, where were these places and how did you obtain access to them? Well, the, uh, this all really began as part of a, a project that was funded by the EPA. And it was to compare natural environments versus human-constructed environments insofar as the presence of Legionella nemophila and maybe these organisms that at the time were known as Legionella-like pathogens. So our job was to just go out and collect samples from lakes, rivers, streams, and then cooling towers, which are notorious for Legionella, as well as other human-constructed environments where people might splash around or be exposed to aerosols. A swimming pool, for example? Swimming pools uh, have also been implicated in, in Legionnaire's disease. So we, we did test swimming pool samples as well. And as a consequence of that, we noticed there were organisms in these samples that were not Legionella nemophila, nor any other known organism. And so kind of were curious what they were. Mm -hmm. So that led to their discovery. The hot tub was just someone who was curious about their hot tub. <laughs> so, um, and so we took a sample, sure. We'll see what's in there. And at that time, the hot tub was not used. Um, so it was, had been kind of open to the environment for a while. And, uh, you know, I guess there was some chlorine or whatever treatment they were using in it, but, but not a whole lot. Uh, but the, the water had been sitting there yeah, for a while. Yeah, it had while. been sitting there. It had been sitting there, and it was potentially to be used, but not at the time. <laughs> there weren't people in it or anything. And then uh, the cooling tower was from a location in Cookville uh, who we uh, we got used to just looking around at tall buildings to see where we could spot cooling towers and then asking for permission uh, to come in and take samples. And 
un- unfortunately, a lot of people, they didn't want us to find anything. Yes. <laughs> so, so we didn't have a lot of access. But, bad for business, yes. huh? Even though we explained, we're not we're not trying to implicate anything. We're just looking looking for things, right? And uh, so this was one of the places in Cookville who allowed us uh, a sample. We hoped with the outcome we might identify some new novel organisms, but we never expected to find anything like these two. Now we're talking about a hot tub and a cooling tower, so. Is temperature a factor or a non-factor in how this uh, bacterium grows? That, that's actually a very good question because what makes these environments unique is not so much necessarily whether these bacteria do well or not, but what is actually allowing them to replicate in these environments. And so we actually recovered these bacteria from some other organisms that were in these cooling towers. They were living inside amoebae, which are uh, protozoa, who's really- Singular-celled critters. Yes, single-celled critters, very (laughs) good. And they're really, their job in the environment in, in a way is bacterial control. They naturally reach out, uh, ingest these bacteria, and that's their food source. These organisms, though, aren't susceptible to the digestive mechanisms of these single-celled organisms and instead get to the nucleus, replicate, and then burst out ready to be taken up by another cell. So the fact that these amoebae can survive at warm temperatures, disinfectants like chlorines have no effect on them really, they're resistant to killing. They're surviving in these environments and in this case not helping to clean up the bacteria, but actually harboring these organisms, providing a a shelter almost for them to grow, divide, and burst out, getting in the next next susceptible host. So apparently they're very adaptable to different environments. Yes, it seems, seems to be so. We've actually grown them in cells at different temperatures under different environments. We've even tried to dry them out and kill them without a host, and yet they, they still survive. So uh, they're, they're adapted to many different environments. And it's interesting because if you sort of search the gene databases for sequences similar to this one, you can find them in projects where people have just taken garbage, basically, and sequenced it. There's reports of this sequence being in Antarctic ice, in oyster shell dumps in Korea, or this sequence or similar sequences. So this is probably a global organism. Antarctic ice? That's yeah. interesting because the only, the only mammals in Antarctica are the human explorers who go there. Right. It's not as though you have entire colonies of humans living there continuously. That's correct. And it, it's possible that humans might be an accidental host, that maybe they are living most of their lives in these single-celled organisms or even simple animals. And humans come across them accidentally, and it just so happens they survive well in our cells as well, and so, so then we can become infected. Do we have any idea yet what makes them so omnipotent, so strong, so uh, apparently impenetrable? So we're getting some clues from their DNA sequences. 
about the types of molecules they have that might allow them to survive in extreme conditions and also within cells. We have, in January, received funding from the National Institutes of Health to allow us to continue to explore these aspects genetically, how they get into their host and traffic to the nucleus. And so that, those are all things we're working on right now. When the bacterium enters the host, do you have any idea how long it takes it to go to the nucleus of a cell? That's another good question. So in the amoebae, the natural single-celled organisms in the environment, they are into the nucleus within about four to six hours. So it's very fast. In our bodies, we have cell types that are amoeba-like, and they're cells of our immune system that are meant to reach out, engulf, and destroy pathogens. When we give them to these types of cells, it's still maybe about six to 12 hours, so still very fast. What makes another aspect that makes uh, the Burkiella cookvalensis unique is that it even gets into cell types that don't naturally reach out and, and engulf particulates. And that makes it different from other organisms also that tend to do this. It, for instance, can get into an epithelial cell, which might be like a normal skin cell, and traffic to the nucleus in about 12 to 18 hours. Would that be regardless of whether you had a cut or an opening on the skin? Most likely, it, it would probably get into, it, we've tested it against other cell types as well, and it doesn't seem to distinguish uh, very much between cell types. It gets in, but it just takes it longer to get to the nucleus in some cells compared to others. What you said about the time factor is very interesting and a little frightening because the human immune system in a healthy human being is a pretty remarkable, extraordinary defense system Yes, and works very well. Yes. Except for organisms like these. In fact, they, for instance, Legionella pneumophila does the same thing. Other organisms like Salmonella's, uh, Yersinia pestis, the organism that causes plague, they actually they get taken up by immune cells and then destroy them. And in destroying this particular cell type, they prevent the signal to the rest of the immune system to interact. So they're cutting out the front man this way, if you will. <laughs> yes. And um, in, in a sense, uh, blocking or delaying the immune system for a while. They're bypassing the wholesaler and going straight to the retail. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. 
Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about Candidatus burkiella cookvalensis, uh, as there's actually an, another type of uh, bacterium that uh, is part of this article published by Dr. Mary Farone and colleagues. Uh, I just like saying the one that pertains to Cookville more <laughs> often. Uh, and we're talking about it because there's a paper that she and her colleagues have published in BMC Microbiology uh, giving us an update on uh, these very unique uh, bacteria and uh, how they work. Can you talk to me a little bit about uh, you and your colleagues' investigative process and the extent to which students were involved and what that whole experience was Certainly. like? Certainly. This, I have to say, was a very student-friendly project. When we began the EPA-funded part of the project, it involved collection of water samples. Then we would have to take those water samples and sort of get the cells to the bottom, so pellet them out, so or concentrate them, if you will. And then we did something that was sort of unique to our project. A lot of other investigators who found similar types of organisms would just take a water sample and put it on an amoeba culture and see if the amoeba got infected. For our project, we actually looked in these water samples to see if we could see natural populations of amoeba that were infected. That way we could say with certainty, this is something that affected, infected the amoeba out in their natural environment. So it was a lot of microscopic screening for a lot of students. And so literally, they would come into the lab and spend one to two hours just scanning plates looking for infected amoebae. And so we had a lot of undergraduates who helped us with that. Uh, after that, uh, insofar as my steps, the identification of what these organisms were involved a lot of cloning and sequencing. Another project type of project I was able to involve undergrads and graduate students on and their participation in the project has been reflected on, on really several poster presentations um, and also talks at various meetings. And the last few papers have also had some of those undergraduates listed as well. I feel like it was, they, these were excellent projects because they they experienced both frustration and, and joy when they finally found something. And I feel like most of them who were on it remember the experience. They, they still talk about it when they see me. Um, and, and really, the realization what research involved. So um, I've, I've been happy with the way we were able to involve students on all these projects. About how much of the work was done here and how much up at Tennessee Tech? I'd say for especially this recent paper, it's just, just about all of it was completed here. In the initial stages of the project, we split the tasks uh, between us. In fact, both Berkeyella aqua and Berkeyella cookvalensis were initially seen uh, by a student at Tennessee Tech. So they were initially visualized there. Those samples were frozen away, came to MTSU, 
and then uh, the students started playing with them here. So for those two, it was actually, I, I think, we shared the tasks on those two. So Did uh, the students and the researchers have to take uh, any special precautions uh, with regard to their person, goggles, gloves, anything? Certainly, because we knew we were looking really initially for Legionella nemophila and organisms like it, uh, we always followed biosafety level two precautions. Uh, so yes, they, they had to work inside a special biosafety cabinet and of course wear gloves to protect themselves, goggles. If they worked outside the biological safety cabinet, Everything had to be a closed container. It was difficult sometimes with some of the procedures we had to do, but again, when you have an unknown organism, you, you don't know what it could be, so we, we had to take precautions. And when we found out it was actually more related to Coxiella burnettii, the Q fever agent, which is a biosafety level three organism, we had to be sure we were being really careful. What types of studies could researchers use using your study, you that which you and your colleagues did? I mean, there are ten of them. I don't want to right. slight yes. any. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to slight anybody. What types of research could they do using your study as a jumping off point? Well, we've already had a lot of interest in these organisms, and that's beyond beyond what we're interested in ourselves. So for instance, the fact that these large organisms are able to enter the nucleus of a host has implications for delivery uh, to the nucleus itself. So they could perhaps be delivery agents for genetic manipulations in the nucleus. They could be uh, delivery agents, for instance, uh, to treat viruses that enter the nucleus. So getting something into the nucleus is not an easy feat, even for the cell itself. And so these these have implications for manipulation of the cells uh, as well. And so other people are also interested in the genes that might allow these organisms to do this. Um, and again, cancer therapy, for instance, is, is one potential uh, implication of this organism. Dr. Mary Ferrone, if people want to know more, how can they get in touch? Can they email you if they'd like to uh, find out more information? Email is always the best way to get a hold of me. Mary.Ferrone, F-A-R-O-N-E, at mtsu.edu. Yes. Dr. Ferrone, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. We'll be right back. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There is no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. 
The MTSU Alumni Association's Pigskin Pregame, the unofficial kickoff to the Blue Raider football season, moves to a new location this year. Blair Burglar, Alumni Relations Assistant Director, shares details. The MTSU Alumni Association's 2019 Pigskin Pregame will be at the home of Jonathan Harmon, located at 746 East Main Street. Tickets for the event are $35, and guests will enjoy food, fun, drinks, and a little bit of music. And they'll have an opportunity to say hi and um, kind of chat with their fellow Blue Raiders. Pigskin Pregame is the MTSU Alumni Association's Alumni Legacy Scholarship Fundraiser. We raise scholarship money for children and grandchildren of MTSU alums. Dinner will be provided by Slick Pig Barbecue. All of the beer is being donated by Steel Barrel, and the wine is being donated by Stones River Total Beverage. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.